Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. What's good, everybody? It's Sunday, September 17th. I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. I know you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. Last week, oil prices hit their highest level of the year. U.S. government bond yields are moving back towards their highest in 15 years, and the value of the U.S. dollar is rising. The United Auto Workers went on strike at plants owned by GM, Ford, and Jeep maker Stellantis. We're keeping an eye on all of it. That said, this week it is all about the Fed. We saw last week that inflation rose again, and all eyes will be on Washington and Fed Chair Jerome Powell to see whether the central bank is planning to raise rates again this year. To make sure you don't get caught slipping, Vincent Reinhardt is here. He spent 24 years at the Fed, and he's going to explain what you need to know to be ready when the chairman speaks this Wednesday. We are also going to look ahead to the earnings report expected this week from FedEx. What do a shipping slowdown and the bankruptcies and strike threats for some of its competitors tell us about the U.S. economy? Revenues at FedEx have been down three quarters in a row, but the stock price is up this year. Like, way up. And we're going to talk about ESG, environmental, social, and governance, one of the most talked about terms in investing. There are a lot of opinions out there, and we're here with a reality check. There is no rules. It is really the Wild West in many ways. That's Pete Kroll, who's a partner and director of sustainable investments at Earth Equity Advisors. I'll explain what he means by that later in the show. All that in less than 20 minutes. We'll be right back. When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. Listen, everyone that's serious about investing and serious about knowing what's happening with the economy is watching the Fed this week. Chair Jerome Powell is must-see TV because when he talks, markets listen. All of them. But if you don't know what to listen for, it might all sound like a bunch of noise. We can't have that. Powell and the Federal Reserve's rate-setting committee, the FOMC, are going to talk to us this week. Inflation is picking back up, and the economy is starting to show some signs of stress. Surveys show business activity is stagnating, the job market is slowing down, and consumer debt and delinquencies are rising. So now is a very important time to listen to the Fed. And remember, the Fed moves markets because its policy decisions can make the difference between whether a business can get a loan or not and whether a family can afford to buy a home. I'm joined by Vincent Reinhardt, chief economist and macro strategist at Dreyfus and Mellon, two firms under the umbrella of BNY Mellon, which has around $2 trillion of assets under management. Vince worked at the Fed starting in the 1980s, And Vince has been a top economist at the central bank. I want to start off with a pretty general question, Vince, because I know you know the Fed very well. 
What should investors be looking to hear from Chair Powell and the Fed at this upcoming meeting? First, investors shouldn't expect any action. They're going to pass at this meeting. They haven't told us otherwise. And if you get this close to an FOMC meeting and they haven't validated a policy action, it means there's no policy action. Mm. So what's to listen for is the guidance. Mm -hmm. And this is an important meeting because there's a summary of economic projections. They will give their rate forecast uh, for rates at the end of this year. And that's going to be the tell about whether they're going to do anything more. Right. And our our own Nick Timoros, he put a story out pretty recently uh, last week talking about the change in expectations, the change in the burden. Uh, He talks about over the past year or so, there's been a burden of evidence on slowing the economy to justify stopping the rate increases, like something crazy would have to happen in order for us not to raise rates. But as inflation has started to cool and we're getting now down towards CPI inflation being three, three and a half in that range, the burden has kind of shifted towards needing to see evidence that the economy is accelerating to justify raising. What should investors take from that? Whether they actually raise rates at the next couple meetings isn't really the important part of the policy decision the Fed's going to be making. Mm-hmm. The really important question is how long will they keep the funds rate at its plateau? So raise the funds rate a quarter point. Don't raise the funds rate a quarter point. You can make up for it by just keeping the funds rate at that elevated level for longer. Mm -hmm. So we're at the stage in which the key part of the Fed's decision is how long they're going to keep the rate high. Where we sit now, we are starting to see the economy slow, but that inflation, like we said, is not coming back down to 2% very rapidly and even kind of starting to pick up. Um, That's reignited some of those worries about recession that, you know, most of Wall Street coming into 2023 was saying, yeah, we think there's going to be a recession. Now a lot of folks are saying, okay, that recession we all picked for 2023 might not happen in 2023. We think it'll just be happening in 2024. This thing has just been delayed, not averted. What's your take on that? My take is I'm not sure why we listen to economists. They've been telling us that, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, we're going to be in recession six months from now for the last... Really quick, quick, before you continue, Vincent, what's your title? Uh, Oh, yeah, I am an economist. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I necessarily believe economists are all that useful. Economists had good reasons for expecting recession. Mm -hmm. But you should think about it as the prediction of an elevated chance of infection. Difficult to predict that you'll actually get infected, but you can at least say over the next six months, nine months, 12 months, uh, you're at risk. And, uh, And it has been the case over the last year and a half, we've been at risk in the U.S. economy. Why? Because... Almost all Federal Reserve firming cycles are associated with recessions. All but one led to a recession. With all that in mind, Mr. Chief Economist, when folks are looking to the Fed statement and then the press conference from Chair Powell, what's the thing they should be looking for that makes them say, oh, you know what? This is great. This means things are going to be great for me as an investor. This is going to be great for the economy. And what's something they should look for to be like, oh, wow, that means trouble. So the main message Jay Powell is going to be sending is how long they're going to keep rates high. 
That's it. That's what you want to listen for. That's what you want to see in the summary of economic projections. That's what you want to hear him say. And if that's the case, just hunker down. Appreciate that interest rates are going to be high for a while. They might not be higher, but they'll still be high. That was Vincent Reinhardt, chief economist at Dreyfus and Mellon. One reason some Fed voters are worried about raising rates again is the pullback we've seen in spending. That's been weighing on revenues for shipping companies, but shipping giant FedEx's stock price has been booming. I'll explain what's happening when we come back. Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. News about the shipping industry has not been good in recent months. Spending on goods like furniture and electronics is slowing down, and we've heard from companies like UPS that Americans are sending fewer packages than they have over the past few years. UPS narrowly averted a strike in late July that could have ground its business to a halt. And trucking company Yellow, which has been around for 99 years, went out of business entirely this summer, following years of struggles and mounting debt. Meanwhile, FedEx's stock price is looking real strong. It's up by more than 40% so far this year, nearly triple the return of the overall S&P 500. Its biggest competitor, UPS, has seen its stock fall by more than 5% year-to-date. And even after going on this run, there is not one analyst tracked by FactSet who has a sell rating on FedEx's stock. FedEx is set to deliver its latest earnings report this week, and I wanted to dig into the discrepancy between what's going on with the stock price and what we're hearing about shipping companies in the news. We reached out to FedEx to talk about it, but the company declined to comment. There's been talk of a trucking recession, and shipping companies seeing their business really slow down. But clearly it's not all bad news, especially for FedEx. Here to help me explain is Wall Street Journal reporter Esther Fung. Esther covers FedEx, UPS, and all the ways goods are moved around the world. So Esther, FedEx reports earnings this week, right? In their last report, their CEO told us not to expect things to get much better. But what could the company tell us that might provide some optimism? Analysts, they expect FedEx to report slightly better than anticipated earnings this time because FedEx has benefited from some of the diverted freight from both UPS and Yellow shippers who needed uh, the certainty of having their freight move they had to jump ship to another carrier to make sure that their freight still gets moved in the event of a strike. Like medical equipment, for instance, they can't accept that risk at all. Uh, and it's not just like a one-day strike and then, uh, and then things will be back to normal. It cascades. UPS said it lost like 1 million parcels to Ooh. FedEx, USPS and regional carriers. That's a lot of money. Yeah, 1 million parcels a day. So, oh, a day? Yeah, they move, yeah. these are big companies. They move millions and millions of parcels every day. So FedEx uh, is expected to say that they benefited from some of this diverted freight. So there is volume pickup, but we're not sure how that is an indication of the economy actually picking up or 
they're just picking some uh, market share from other competitors. Right. Things seem bleak in the shipping industry and maybe even at FedEx until you look at the stock price. You've been talking to these analysts. I mean, why do they like the stock so much? So they like FedEx's move to restructure. They want to combine Express and Ground, Mm -hmm. uh, previously two separate networks. And for a long time, people have said, you've got to combine these two networks for cost savings. And FedEx said that they're going to do it. They've also talked about and executed other restructuring efforts, such as closing many FedEx office locations that weren't pulling their weight. Mm. They also called some management roles. Well, it's always interesting when you see this, right? Because whenever companies announce they're laying off employees, Wall Street seems to cheer and the stock price seems to go up. Why is it that Wall Street is so excited about these moves that, yeah, sure, they improve the bottom line. But at the end of the day, if you're a long-term investor, which all these investors always tell us that they are, why is this something that you're excited about? So for companies like FedEx and UPS, it's all about can they deliver good services at a cheaper cost? Mm -hmm. And both these companies are touting their digital services, their machine learning um, Ah. capabilities. And one of the things that they are trying to do is rely more on algorithms, machine learning to do the work that... um, many of these managers were doing in the first place. So perhaps the Wall Street investors are are thinking, okay, these can be done without that much of a blow to their margins. And so these companies are always pivoting and trying to make sure their networks or their capacity, their staffing would be optimized for the demand that's out there. And being able to do more with less is always something that Wall Street loves hearing. Facts. That was WSJ reporter Esther Fung. Esther says analysts predict the company's revenue picked up during the quarter ending August 31st. But the big question will be whether that's from customers shipping more packages or just the leftover increase FedEx got from customers who moved away from UPS as it faced a possible strike and Yellow, which is now bankrupt. That answer will tell us a lot about how American consumers are doing. All right, one more thing before we get out of here. Today is the start of Climate Week here in New York, and I've got to talk about ESG, because most of the talk around ESG I'm hearing doesn't seem to match the reality. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And a lot of people have come to think that it's a means for banning investment in oil and gas or defunding certain industries. But that's not quite right. 20 states, including Florida, Louisiana, and Arizona, have passed some form of anti-ESG regulations, barring the people handling retirement and pension funds from considering ESG-related factors. Eight Other states, including California and Massachusetts, have passed pro-ESG regulations. In all, there are more than 75 anti- or pro-ESG bills pending across the country, according to law firm Morgan Lewis. But why? ESG is a framework or a methodology. Investors use the term ESG to mean they evaluate the environmental, social, and governance factors of a particular investment, and then they decide whether or how much to invest in it. There's no single way of making that judgment. Most firms don't reveal their ESG process, and I've asked a few to explain it to me. 
They just say, it's proprietary, which is Wall Street speak for, we're not going to tell you. I asked Pete Kroll, a partner and director of sustainable investments at Earth Equity Advisors, which specializes in green investing, to tell me what the rules are around what can and can't be in an ESG investment or an ESG fund. There is no rules. It is really the Wild West in many ways. I think the SEC is trying to sort of rein it in some, but the reality is, is you can, for the most part, at least in the States, you can pretty much call the fund whatever you want to call it uh, at this point without any negative consequences. And the only way an investor can really know how sustainable that particular fund is, is by actually looking at what the underlying holdings are. To be sure, the International Sustainability Standards Board has released some standards for ESG, But those only say what information companies should disclose about their environmental standards, the way they're governed, and their social practices. U.S. companies aren't required to disclose this information. And even if they do, ESG portfolio managers don't have to take it into consideration. The bottom line is, in the U.S., ESG is just a way for money managers and Wall Street researchers to look at investments. It's another lens that investors can use to value the things they invest in. So when you hear politicians railing against ESG, or you hear about a new ESG fund, do your homework. Like the great Chuck D in Public Enemy said, don't believe the hype. All right, that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, September 17th. The show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Mike also wrote our theme music. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I am Dion Rabowin. Stay smart. Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.